This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Cigarette at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 659 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. I'm the internet's Joe Patrick, your head number one, and let me tell you the news that Bob Budiansky just made up all the character stats on the back of my 90s Marvel cards has shaken me to my very core point of order. They didn't. They made up the stats, but not the power levels. Bullshit. Those they are made up, too. actually researched the power How levels. How do you research power levels? What does I mean, that even the, mean? Like assigning, assigning them Come a number, on. yes. But they did, they, did do, they did do research about, like... Look, my name is Matt Baum. I'll be your head number two, yeah. and I'm calling bullshit on that. Right. It's true. Read the article. You read what you wanted to read. And me has an energy projection level of one, and that is Matt, patently ridiculous. It is a scale of one to seven. I one get it. is normal. But zero like insinuates baseline. none. One insinuates but something. Okay. The scale starts at one, like counting from one to ten. Today on the show, we will be reviewing new comics from the last two weeks, and then... It is up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to talk about our must-read picks for next week. After that, we'll give you a sneak peek of our Patreon extra segment where the official THN historian, Professor Jason Sachs, will host another Who the Hell is This Guy segment. This time, it's the Moon Knight edition. But now we better hope our comic analysis stats line up with our collectible cards because it's review time in the ziggurat. As always, we'll be reviewing comics from the past two new comic book Wednesdays, 316 and 323, and this one's got it all, baby. Wolverine versus future Wolverine, the Watcher goes to court, Carnage gets a new boyfriend, and it all starts with Batman and Superman together again, again. Take it away. Joe Patrick. <laughs> For the first time, the last time. Uh, Batman Superman, world's finest number one, of course, is what Matt's referring to. It's from DC Comics. It's written by Mark Wade with art by Dan Mora and Tamara Bonvillain. It's $3.99 for the cover price. Here's your solicit. The Dark Knight, the Man of Steel. They are the two finest superheroes that the world has ever known. And they're together again in an epic new series from the legendary talents of Mark Wade and Dan Mora. I just said that. In the not-too-distant past, Superman's powers are supercharged from a devastating chemical attack by the villain Metallo. And the only ally that the ultra-powerful Man of Tomorrow can turn to in this turbulent hour is Gotham's own dark vengeance, the Batman. A nearly fatal burst of power drives Bruce Wayne to his own extreme measures to help his friend, enlisting none other than the Doom Patrol for aid. It's the world's greatest superheroes from the world's greatest comic book talent and an epic comic book experience that kicks off the next big event in the DCU. <gasps> Get ready. <laughs> it's time to soar. The comic book that I feel like I've been waiting for for a decade is finally here. Mark Wade and Dan Mora combine their considerable talents to reunite the world's finest team while the body of their last team book is still warm. Here, Wade embraces the classic tropes of the concept, 
one of Batman's villains has strayed to Metropolis, teaming up with one of Superman's. But of course, the Dark Knight didn't bother to call his flying friend before coming to town. The voices for both characters are absolutely perfect. This is a timeless, iconic take on Superman and Batman, complete with bright colors and underwear on the outside. Extra points to Dan Mora for embracing the, again, classic look for Robin the Boy Wonder. Well, this, the this story whole thing was in the past, though, like all of it, right? Well, yes, but at two different time periods, like right. at two different points in the past. Both of which were in the past, because this is not... Damien. This, this does is- not take place in the present day, no. Right. Uh, the story jumps around in time a bit, and even the most recent parts are set during years past, but Mora gives us the full green shorts and pixie boots look along with a slightly more updated take to differentiate the two time periods. Wade doesn't spell out in the script which Robin we're dealing with, but from context clues, uh, for example, an alley-oop and the crowd goes wild joke. Uh, (laughs) It seems pretty clear that it's Dick Grayson. Now, this title is supposed to have an impact on the modern-day DCU, but it's unclear exactly how that'll be. The tease of a new villain offers a small hint, but that's all we get for now, and that's all right. I know that Mark Wade settles in for the long haul on ongoing projects that he's passionate about, and I have no doubt that he's a strong plan in place here. I cannot say enough about how wonderful the art by Dan Mora is. He delivers a slick, exciting, modern take on a story that could just as easily have been presented as a complete throwback. Tamara Bonvillain's colors are a beautiful addition to his thin line work, providing light and dark contrast to two tonally different characters. Batman is the dark knight, even in the bright light of Metropolis, and Superman still shines larger than life on the dark streets of Gotham City. Batman Superman World's Finest number one is everything I wanted it to be. Is it perfect? Of course not. Did I love every moment of it? Absolutely. Huge buy it. Yeah, this was just like a stupid amount of classic DC fun. And I have to I have to think that if it is going to tie into something, they're setting up something that happened in the past that is going to. Oh, affect, for sure. Yeah. You know what's going on in Superman or Batman right now. Like, I don't think the I I, I hope actually I, I don't think that the entire series will be set in the past. I no. hope that's not the case. No, I have a feeling this but first this issue, issue is is the inciting incident for whatever is going to affect them later on in the future or yeah. the current yeah. DCU. Dan Mora, man, we, we talked about how kick-ass that guy was on Detective Comics? Detective, yeah. Thank you. We talked about how awesome that guy was on Detective Comics recently, and he's doing a different thing here. It's not like obviously not Dan Mora, like I don't recognize him, but the style is so throwback, fun, bright DCU that it just looks different than what he was doing in the pages of Detective Comics, which was really dark and really slick and really affected by the colors, the digital effects and whatnot. This all looks, I'm sure there's digital effects here, but it all looks very traditional. And it just shines almost in like Saturday morning cartoon kind of shiny, bright colors. I loved this and it was a ton of fun and I'm looking forward to more. It is so nice to have Mark Wade back, like writing a Superman comic and a Batman comic that feels like Superman and Batman, you know? I mean, really, it's it's that simple. They're not reinventing anything. This is just good Superman and Batman comic book storytelling. Buy it from me. 
yeah, it was a slam dunk for sure. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Speaking of bright, shiny, positive comics, let's talk about Carnage, number one from Marvel. It costs $4.99. This was written by Ram V with art by Francesco Manna. Here is your solicit. The blood-curdling Carnage series you've been waiting for! That's one thing I've always had a problem with, Carnage. There wasn't enough blood-curdling, if you will. Yeah, yeah. I like my blood to be curdled. Curdled, yes. (laughs) Ram V has carved a perfect home for himself in the symbiote corner of the Marvel U and in this all-new ongoing series starring Venom's most notorious offspring. That corner is about to get a little bit bigger and bloodier. After the revelations of Carnage Forever and in a year that's set to be a celebration of all things Carnage, this is one symbiote story you cannot afford to miss. I don't know what they're talking about. A year of like all things Carnage. It's the 30th anniversary. Uh, Seriously? 30 years we've been dealing with this shit? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. For those who missed Carnage Forever, Cletus Cassidy is dead and gone, leaving the Carnage symbiote alone and crazy as ever. Ram V writes the story from the POV of Detective John Shade, who's investigating... Yeah, I know. (laughs) Who's investigating some particularly grisly murders. Shade is spelled S-H-Y-D-E, so I assume he's Irish. I don't know. Yeah, that's how you know know he's tough. (laughs) Right. The story takes a Silence of the Lambs turn as we realize Carnage is not the killer here, but someone is definitely trying to send him a message. Mana is... Excellent on art, drawing very real-world police tracking a serial killer story with some truly disturbing murder scenes. He has so much style on these pages that it just oozes. It and his carnage looks like a demon. <laughs> I've said it many times. Any character can be written well, and even a character like Carnage that I do not care about in the slightest in the right hands, can be very effective. Ram V writes fantastic horror comics, and he's building a truly creepy story around Red Venom. Now, Donny Cates taught us that Venom can be amazing, and now it looks like this creative team is going to attempt it with Carnage. I'm giving this a buy it. I don't know how long they can carry on this kind of Silence of the Lambs thing. Like... More than I, mean, I don't know why you're doubting it after we got three years of a perfect Venom comic. But. <laughs> no, but I'm saying the the setup with the cop that is tra- that is traveling like that Venom comic very much followed Venom, and we were interested in Venom and uh, Eddie. I mean, Brock. I don't, we got a four we got four seasons of a Hannibal show on network television. I so. suppose that's true, but I mean that was also we were very interested in Hannibal. <laughs> so. Yeah, but this is some straight up Hannibal shit. It is, but it's also standalone carnage, and like I'm not saying that like I needed Cletus Cassidy to be. I think you're carnage. fighting it too hard, but, that's but right. I I'll do, let you finish your review. I do need Eddie Brock to be interested in Venom in the Marvel Universe. You know what I mean? Just the symbiote? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, so here are my thoughts. Uh, <laughs> obviously, because that's how we do things on this show. <laughs> yeah, um, typically. <laughs> uh, I think for uh, for a person who proclaims to not care about either of these characters you sure do read and give glowing reviews to a lot of their comics now i understand that that's the talent talking not necessarily the characters as we know them historically and that's obviously the case here right um but it is like you say any character has potential with some exceptions i'm sure but (laughs) 
you know, penance. You know, I'm not, I don't know how much how much potential penance has. As, well, uh, which has one? A, penance from Generation as an, X as an ongoing character. or or uh, speedball. You know, penance. I don't know. The, the aqu- <laughs> how about the Aquarian? That hippie weirdo you pointed out to me the other I day. I think there could be some interesting uh, Aquarian stories. Sure, out there, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, yeah, Carnage. Ha ha! It's Carnage. Like. And uh, this is a carnage story, yes, kind of, but it's really a story about a terrifying superpowered serial killer who should keep every hero in the Marvel Universe awake at night because if he is as powerful as he is depicted in this comic, there's no fighting a, 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 a somebody that can turn knives into molecules and slide them into your like it's right. He's operating it, it, on a like a very different level. Yeah, so. I mean this is practically like a cosmic level version of of, of Carnage, which I, which kind of tracks from where he was before. But um, yeah, like I was saying, like this is very much very reminiscent of like Hannibal. Uh, where, you know, you've got the police that are tracking him and the, the, um, the other serial killer. That's a bit, that's a big fan. It's all very like psychological totally. and, uh, gra- like beautifully graphic and gory, um, which is not going to be everybody's cup of meat, but, um, I thought that this was exceptional. Um, and so like, just to, it, 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 almost as if they needed to drive the point home. That it's not Cletus Cassidy that makes Carnage interesting. We get a backup story by Carnage co-creator David Michelinie and perpetual 90s throwback artist Ron Lim, where it's still very much Cletus uh, driving the Carnage ship, and it is laughably bad. Yeah. Uh, it gets very bad. <laughs> it's also not the reprint we thought it was going to be. It's not a reprint. It's yeah. just a, it is just, well, you know, I get. I mean, I guess it could be a, a more modern reprint, but I wouldn't know from where. Yeah. Um, it, it's so dated and uh, it, it's like, why is this in here? Why are we getting a full page of comic strips, making references to newspaper comics that like my dad doesn't even read right. anymore. The Wizard of Id. Are, are like, we why sure are these this in isn't here? A reprint? Are we positive? I'm pretty sure. Like I, I, I mean, no, I mean, no, I'm not positive. But those are modern. Like this is all very modern looking. I mean, I guess I didn't mention it because I thought it was possibly a reprint. But from where though, I don't, and why? I don't you know. know. Like, I never they, paid attention. Already, to like car- they've already got a full. It's like. The first, I think the first story might not have even been full length to accommodate this backup story. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's like they 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 had they have all this goodwill going based off of the strength of the first story, and then it's like, and now here's Woody Harrelson. <laughs> yeah, and it's like no, no, pump the brakes. I'm, this is what we're not interested in anymore. And then the and then the comic strip parodies are just like. What the hell? Like, I, I'm an old guy. I, I don't know no better. Don't, what do you like, want from me? I don't. I don't get it. <laughs> like, and I love Ty Templeton. Like Ty Templeton did that last sure. page of comic book strips. But why are we get who who uh, in the current audience for a modern Carnage comic is like cracking up over a Wizard of Is of Id joke? Yeah, it, it's it's I, an I odd get choice. It. I and I'm not sure why it was included. Other than the fact that you said uh, Ron Lim was like one of the creators. He worked on the book back in the day. No, no, no. Mark Bagley co-created Carnage. Oh, Mark Bagley. That's right. But Ron Lim's the guy that's like, hey, Ron, we need to draw something in the 90s style. Are you busy? And he's like, no, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> it's always Ron Lim. 
And uh, and so, yeah, it's uh, it, they didn't even get Mark Begley to draw the backup story. Um, so I don't I really don't understand. OK, uh, this is a buy it. Not a reprint, according to Marvel.com. Not a. Reprint. Yeah, no, I mean, I, it's it, it's just a it's a it's a really strange packaging of material. Yeah. But the lead story is really fantastic. Yeah. It's a buy it from me. Speaking of fantastic. <laughs> oh, come on. It's Reckoning War, The Trial of the Watcher, number one from Marvel. It's written by Dan Slott with art by Javier Rodriguez. It's $4.99, and here is your solicit. In all of the multiverse, there is only one what-if world that Uatu has avoided watching. One what-if that has he has never wished to see. And now it will be revealed the story that could damn him for all time, dot, 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 and a revelation that could change everything in this universe. Guest starring the Fantastic Four, Galactus, and the Silver Surfer. For those that might be coming in late, The Reckoning War is in full swing in the pages of Fantastic Four. In the previous chapter, Uatu, the watcher of our neck of the woods, tried to convince his brethren to break their vow of non-interference to help stop the war that they created. Those bald weirdos didn't like it and threw our man in the clink. Now he's being forced to watch the ultimate what if, a universe in which he had never interfered during the coming of Galactus. By his dad. <laughs> he calls him father, yeah, but I couldn't really tell if it was really his dad or if he was just like well, the leader. The, I don't know. The father even like refers to him as his offspring. At one I get, point. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's yeah. true. Yeah, I guess his dad. You know, it's his dad because he's got a goatee. Yeah. I'm not going to spoil what happens, but writer Dan Slott really delivers on the promise of the best what-if stories. Things diverged in ways both subtle and extreme, and the world we're viewing is left in a completely different place than the one we know. Being that this is set circa Fantastic Four 49 through 50, Slott takes us right back to the Silver Age. His knack for writing traditional superhero dialogue really serves him well here, but there's also a modern edge that keeps the dialogue from feeling dated. As the story unfolds in the alternate universe, Uatu's stubborn defiance gives way to horror, but there's something about the head watcher, Papa Watcher we'll call him, that doesn't sit right with me, and I'm not sure we're actually seeing the truth. I'll be interested to see how this develops for sure. Javier Rodriguez draws this issue, and I feel like that should really be all I have to say about that. But if I must... I would look at this guy drawing almost literally anything. Oh, yeah. The phone book, an encyclopedia. In fact, I've already seen him illustrate an encyclopedia in the pages of the history of the Marvel Universe. Everything about his layouts, his figure drawing, his mastery of shadows and light, and his ability to embrace any time period sets him apart as one of the best superhero artists currently working in the industry. And did I mention that he colors his own work, too? Unbelievable. Son of a... Really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> The Trial of the Watcher is basically just an issue of what if, I admit it. Whether or not it will matter to the ongoing plot of the Reckoning War, time will tell. But I love a good what if, and this is a great one. I'm giving this a buy it. Oh, yeah, definitely a buy it. This, it it's just fun, fantastic for Silver Age 
fun. I sorry to use that twice in one sentence, but I don't know what else to call it. It's no, re- yeah, yeah, it is. It's just a ridiculous good time. And the first thing Dan Slot does is acknowledge that the same thing we're always talking about. The watcher was like, I cannot interfere. My job is only to watch. He comes like a bunch of the watchers come and arrest him. And he's like, What I do wrong? Like, what do you think you did wrong? All you do is interfere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every I cannot, time. <laughs> I cannot interfere, but I really used to love Crystal Pepsi. I will send this ad exec down memory lane <laughs> right. so that he brings back Crystal Pepsi. Yeah, like that's all he does. And they there's like two two-page spreads of them just like plucking out 45 <laughs> examples <laughs> <Yeah>. of <him. laughs> And that doesn't even come close to how many times he's no. interfered. Yeah, and, and he learns a lesson too. This was really, really great. Rodriguez is just incredible. Absolutely incredible in art. It's beautiful to look at. It's a huge buy it from me. The Reckoning War is turning out to be so much fun if you're a Fantastic Four fan. Get on board. Uh, just a quick side note. Uh, because of The Reckoning War, I have been spending my free time catching up on the last like two years of Dan Slott's Fantastic Four. It's so good. It's really great. It it's started, so good. It started a little slow and it got It started slow. Great. Yeah. Yeah, I I love it. I'm about I'm around issue 25 or so. It's phenomenal. I love it. After that much excitement, we should probably settle in for a long night's rest with Slumber, number one from Image. It's $3.99. It's written by Tyler Burton Smith with art by Vanessa Cardinali. Here's your solicit. Stetson is a nightmare hunter, a dream detective. She runs a shoddy back alley business where she helps clients sleep at night by entering their dreams and killing their nightmares. But Stetson's past comes back to haunt her when she tracks down a literal living nightmare, a serial killer that murders people in their sleep. Slumber's an ongoing series from the Twisted Minds of writer Tyler Burton Smith, who worked on Kung Fury and Child's Play, and rising star artist Vanessa Cardo. Cardinali, they didn't credit her this, but I looked her up because I was like, I thought I know that name. And the only thing that I could find that I thought was funny to mention was Jesus Christ Dinosaur Slayer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe you were thinking of Linda Cardellini, the actress. That could be. Yes, I do think of her often. I'll say that. (laughs) Gross. Let's start with Cardinali's art because it will be a barrier of entry for some. And I'm here to tell you, get over it. She's brilliant. Her style is cartoonish with round-headed characters and chunky backgrounds. It reminds me of uh, Rob Guillory from Chew or Scotty Young, who worked on Oz Comics at Marvel. Her dreamscapes are cute at first, but they become sinister very quickly, and each is a bit more insane than the last. Simon Robbins does an incredible job on colors as well. The opening scene... Is a is the outside of a house where there's been a murder scene and it's glowing in blue and red of the police cruiser lights. It's just amazing to look at. Burton's script is very clever as well, following the angry dream hunter who carries out her job hunting nightmares like a bail bondsman turned hitman. Stetson is as brutal as a hero and a first-person shooter in the dream world, but she's also tracking this presence that seems to be able to take control of people while they're awake. It's a great twist that could give the series some legs outside of the otherwise kind of wacky premise. I'm giving this a buy it. It looks like it's going to be a fun one to watch. Uh, you know what? I didn't love it. Oh, yeah? 
yeah, I feel bad because you saw something in it that I didn't like. Don't get me wrong. So the art, let's 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 do this in order. The art. Um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be weird for people. Yeah. Um, but uh, it reminded me of Matt Kent's earliest work sure. on those pistol whip graphic novels. Yeah, I can see I'm that. not talking about mind management, Matt Kent. I'm talking about like. Like weird surrealist looking shapes, yeah. people. Yeah, like it's it's oddball, and uh, you know you, your mileage may vary on that. I thought it was well done. I had trouble with the tone of the of the of the story. Like, is it supposed to be funny? Is it supposed to be serious? Well, I mean, I th- and I, I took it as like jaded in the sense where it's like, look, these are just dreams, so none of this really matters, and I can basically do what I want in here because it's just a dream, right? Well, now the problem well, is sure, but that dream I mean, is bleeding into the real world. Yes, the main character is jaded. The, I mean, the tone of the dialogue and the tone of the story, it's like, I do these things just to feel. It's like, okay, I get it. That's that's very serious. Like, the nightmare killed my mother. It's like, okay, yeah. Uh, and then it's like, and now my goblin sidekick is eating a human leg. It's like, okay, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I felt like I had a little bit of like tonal whiplash, which might be a me problem. But when I was done with it, I was like, I, I need to read another one of these just to see if it clicks for me because this first sure. one didn't really click for me. Um, I think the concept is strong. I love the whole setup where it's like, we have a literal door that we walk through and then yeah. we lower it into the floor when we're done with it. It's very Monsters, Inc., right? It's like the Dreamscape movie. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I'm going to give this a skim it just because personally, I I need a little bit more convincing, but I think the concept is fun and I think the art is well done. Fair enough. I don't know how much she knows about what's actually happening in the reality of other people's surroundings. You know what I mean? Like the cops are onto something, obviously she knows there's something that's jumping around people's dreams, but outside of what happened to her, I don't know if she knows it's affected anyone else yet. And that might be why she's so jaded and acting the way she is. Well, but she's seeing it in other people's minds. So yeah, but like not outside of that yet, but she hasn't been exposed to like the murder. Like she hasn't seen any of the crime. Right. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. 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 No, that's true. Leaping forward into this week, it's the X Deaths of Wolverine number five from Marvel Comics, written by Benjamin Percy, with art by Federico Vin- Vicentini. Vicentini. Vin- Vincentini? Vincentini, I'll bet. But there's no N there. Vicentini? There's no N at the beginning. Yeah, you're right. Vicentini. 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 Vinny Vetti Vicentini. Sorry, Federico. It's four ninety nine. You're Jesus, really, you're really good back. at what you do. How's that? We love you. <laughs> <laughs> Here's your solicit. Wolverine jumps into the void. Oh yeah, just bear with me. Don't interrupt. Me. I forgot about what was happening here. Don't don't interrupt me. When AIM manages a covert infiltration of the Sword Station and kidnaps three mutants, it's up to Wolverine to take one giant leap for man and get him back. From the vacuum of space to the dripping guts of an evil supercomputer, Logan will stop at nothing to save his friends. Collecting the first four chapters of the hit Marvel Infinity comic by Head of X, Jonathan Hickman, (laughs) and superstar artist Declan Shalvey for the first time in print. That is not what's happening in this comic book. Uh, I thought maybe it was an isolated incident, but this is the solicit that you find wherever you go to look for it. It it was on... on, uh, Go collect. It was on Diamond. It's 
they somebody just screwed up big time. It's like that on Marvel.com too. Oh uh, man, I guess I didn't look. Uh, it may have been like that on Marvel.com. Yeah, it, but it doesn't matter. I'm going. I'm going with it. You'll get the gist. Now Marvel.com is the right one. The future crashes into the present with the showdown. You'll have to see to believe. Week ten, it's Wolverine versus Wolverine with the time traveling mission behind him. The truth will be revealed. But who or what will remain as the Omega Wolverine? <laughs> After 10 whirlwind weeks, the X lives and deaths of Wolverine have come to a close. Do the two series connect in a way that makes any goddamn sense? Not really. No. But I've had fun reading them anyway. I'm focusing on the ending of this series because it was essentially an extension of Inferno and the ongoing saga of Moira McTaggart. Moira has been on the run since her existence was revealed on Krakoa, and Mystique has been hot on her trail. Who is not in this comic? Mystique. It's not important. <laughs> but Moira, we know from the beginning of the Hickman experiment, the one who plays the long game and makes the hard decisions is gone. The, that, this Moira has had it. She's tried her best to save mutant kind, only to be brutally murdered over and over. Did she make some questionable decisions along the way? Of course. We've uh-huh. all been there. Big time. <laughs> I've, I've lost track of the number of times I've prevented the resurrection of my arch enemy's psychic wife or thrown criminals into a bottomless pit, regardless of the severity of their crimes. There's no way around this spoiler. Turns out Moira is the villain of the piece, and maybe she has been all along. Uh, but again, the Moira parts of this particular issue are very slight a lot has happened over the course of the past 10 weeks so i'm not going to sum it all up except to say that there is a pretty satisfying final battle between all of the wolverines including the burned out phalanx animated husk of the omega wolverine hank mccoy has embraced the absolute wrong lesson about how might makes right hank mccoy sweet Hank McCoy. Not anymore. He's been a no, bad guy. Hank he's McCoy? just like, yeah, maybe we should be killing people left and right. I don't he's know. He's been a full on bad guy for like five years now. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't get <laughs> it. I don't like it. Look, I, say what you will about how good those comics were. I think that the whole Uncanny X Force thing was a mistake. But anyway, that's no, not what we're talking about. Here. I mean, yeah, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about even like, but I mean, more recently. That, that's what led to this because Hank is in X Force and the whole deal of X Force is like, we kill our enemies before they have a chance to right. kill us. And that is not, that's not what heroes They're do. They're X-Men CIA murder patrol. Yep. Yes. And that's black ops. That's yeah, no. Uh, and I also uh, still do not understand what the hell the Cerebro sword is, or even remember where it came from. Did it come from X of swords? Yeah. I don't remember. It was an X of swords thing. I mean, come on, okay. where else would it have come from? <laughs> I mean, I guess, but who had it? Was it Doug? No, Doug had a sword made out of warlock. Yeah. So where'd the Cerebro sword come from? This, I don't know. Yeah. The Cerebro sword was a it, thing that Scott used to power up the, uh, I, Sword I cannot station. stress enough. I do not care. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's, it's fine. Look it up if you want. Yeah. I don't care. The I cerebral agree. sword is in, is involved. I don't need a f- cerebral sword. <laughs> no. I, what, like, what's the point of it? The text page that we get outlining the terrifying ways in which the Omega Wolverine witnessed his friends die over a thousand years is just really, really brutal. The end result of this 10-week mini event is two different titles and the promise of a tie between them that is never delivered. I did enjoy them both independently overall. Benjamin Percy has proven that he has what it takes to write a fun Wolverine story, even two at once. But it's hard not to look at these as glorified storylines from X-Force or the Wolverine solo book. Using these minis to further Moira's story in a major way seems almost out of place. Like, why are we doing it here? 
I've seen a lot of mixed feelings about the ending online and I get it, but I'm hopeful that the X-Men office isn't going to squander the great potential that they've developed in Moira's character. Uh, Art-wise, Federico Vicentini's work is clearly very dynamic and I did enjoy it overall. But I think there are also some inconsistencies that are covered up by, oh boy, here we go. Dijo Lima's excellent colors. I'm sorry. Dijo. Sorry, Dijo. 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 Yeah. And we laugh because we're at fault here. Not you. No, please. I cannot stress enough. We are the idiots. Yes, there's nothing wrong with your name. We are just morons. It's just that we are dummies and we are ill-prepared for this job. Your coloring work is excellent in this comic book. It's beautiful. Now that it's said and done, the ex-deaths of Wolverine turned out to be an entertaining time travel adventure with some major plot developments that just seemed thrown in for the hell of it. Uh, I liked it and its companion series, uh, but I'm not sure why they were presented this way or why they were the place to move Moira's story forward. In fact, I'll go so far as to say that I liked X lives of Wolverine better because I thought that that story. Yeah. Like I, I, I was more invested in that story of like Wolverine quantum leaping into his own body to save professor X's. You could also see them working there. You could see them working the entire time and go ahead and give us a rating. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm giving this a buy it because I did enjoy it, but I just don't I don't understand all of the decision making behind it. OK, I 100 percent agree with everything you just said, but I cannot give this a buy it because. Well, why? It is a failure of what it was. We were told it is going. But to did you do. like it? Look, did I like aspects of it? Yes. But the main aspect this was supposed to do was tell a story of Wolverine's past and Wolverine's future. That comes together into one story and we go, wow, this has revealed a lot of stuff about Wolverine that we didn't know. And that is exactly the opposite of what it did. Well, but but devil's advocate here. What if that's not what they were promising? What if that's just what we thought they were promising? That is what they told us they were doing from the beginning. So all I can go off is what they say is they we're going to get. That was You sure this, about that? Yes, those are the solicits. Ben Percy was going to show us the lives of the revisit the many lives of Wolverine and like we saw the covers with Patch. Well, and he and, did in the other one. I mean, we saw some of that, sure. But this and, whole no, story I mean, the other one was all about Wolverine's past lives. But, so that but one it I, wasn't. I view as a success. It wasn't at all because Wolverine in his past was never chasing down Omega Red the whole time to stop the death of Professor <laughs> but it was but we still got to see Wolverine in Team 7. I don't Wolverine, disagree with that. I guess I should say not I don't team disagree seven. with that. But it wasn't what we thought it was going to be. And while that was fun, I had an okay time with that. It did not tie into this book at all. This book did definitely push Moira's story, and that's interesting, but that's also not necessarily what I was here for, and it never came together. It just I'm not saying this is a, a leave it. It's a skim it for me because I agree this could have just been a story that was told in X-Force and Wolverine. Did we really need this 10-week production with extra books and stuff so we can do this? No. And this was a weird place to do it. Well, but the uh, the books, I mean, the, to be fair, the main books weren't running at the time. So it's not like we sure. got extra books. But No, I mean, that's, that's fair. But uh, I just, I look at this as kind of a convoluted mess. That they had a cool idea for, and they went, what if we mash those two stories together? And fine, they're both 
entertaining, sure, but this isn't something that I'm going to revisit or I or no. I or that I feel added to Wolverine canon even. You know, like the Phalanx Wolverine, that's kind of cool, sure, but we're done and uh, you know, it's just kind of a thing that happened in here. So I I'm giving it a skim it. I I just I agree with I mean, a, what a lot yeah. of people feel it in the just, end. Like, it just didn't come together. And when you tell – like, look at Ascender and Descender, that Jeff Lemire book, right, with Dustin Wynn. That was masterfully done, masterfully done, where they came out with the idea for the end of the story, showed it to you first, and then they gave you the beginning of the story, and they met in the middle, and you could literally – Put the end of one page, you know book next to the beginning of the next book, and it flowed right through onto it. I'm not saying that Ben Percy's a bad writer, but Jeff Lemire might be better at tricks like that. And this was billed as that kind of trick, so I can't help but be a yeah. little let down. Yeah, I mean, I can only I'm I'm judging it based on how I felt about the experience, sure. which I enjoyed. It's the, like yes, I'm confused. And maybe it's not what, you know, it's not what it said on the box, you know, right. when I bought it, but like, I had a fun time. The art's good. Yeah. It's like, what more can I really ask for? And, and look, the, I, like the whole Moira thing, as puzzling as it is for it to be in this book, it is a huge development. I don't disagree, but it's, and, it's and so like, weird, I don't know. It's weird for it to be here. One, two, yeah, yeah. it took too long in my opinion, to get to a point where I was, it was like issue four before I was like, okay, so this is what's happening. <laughs> See, I like, and I, you and I, like, I know you and I disagreed on, on that. Like I knew what was going on from the beginning. I, I like, I understood from the first issue of both books, what was happening. One, they they both featured Wolverine going into the past trying to prevent something, uh, trying to either save the future or prevent it. And it's like, okay, I got it. Um, but like literally the last two pages or whatever of the X lives of Wolverine number five, it's like, thank God you're awake. You need to get down to the grotto. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Dawkins in trouble or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, all right. Uh, here quick take. Oh no, no. Sage had the sword. It's like, uh, it's the sword was in. Uh, I don't. don't this it's is confusing. It's this confusing. Is exactly, we've already gone on enough. This but is exactly that's kind of, my problem. Like there it is, <laughs> so, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess there. It, you know what? Skim it. It's a skim it and a skim it. That fine. You've convinced me. All right. I, I did have fun with it, but it doesn't make any damn sense. No. Either. And and that my goal was not to convince you otherwise. But I'm glad. No, I know. I see. You can't help but. And it's end like up I there. was being. I was being very generous. I was being very generous to it. But at, like as, as a story. Like, did I enjoy myself? Yes. But did they succeed in telling the story they were trying to succeed? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Yeah. Payback time. Enough of this mutant crap. Let's talk about something we haven't talked about in what feels like years. Valiant Comics. I'm talking about Armor Clads, number one from Valiant. It's $3.99. This is written by J.J. O'Connor and Brian Buccioletto with art by Manuel Garcia. Here's your solicit. Explore a brand new corner of the Valiant universe. In a distant solar system, advanced mechs known as armor clads are used to fight wars and build worlds. On Zeru, genetically engineered workers live out their short lives mining a valuable mineral called the Pure in construction class mechs known as ironclads. 
when one of their own is killed. The Ironclad's world is turned upside down, and they defy their oppressors. Along the way, they'll discover they're embroiled in a mystery dating back centuries that could change the world forever as long as they band together. We do not learn that in this first issue, just so you know. <laughs> Armorclad's wears its influences on its sleeve, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. The story's equal parts Starship Troopers, Aliens, and Warhammer 40,000, all things I enjoy. And the writers inject a working class versus the evil future corporation angle that works really well. Garcia's art is very good. He's got a great sense of action, and his character work makes each of the crew identifiable. The problem here lies in the design. Now, like it or not, the main draw to a book called Armorclads, or say, Iron Man, better be the kick-ass armor. In the case of Warhammer 40K, that's what pulled me in. In Aliens, it was the alien. In Starship Troopers, there were these amazing bug villains. The design is what got me, right? The right, but the name of the bugs is not invoked in the title. I agree, but... So, like, but armor clads, it's like, oh, it's all about the armor. Exactly. The problem yeah, yeah. here is the armor... And the Exo Manowar right. is a good example. It's like it's the XO armor. It needs to be badass. Exactly. The problem here is the armor and the bug design just wasn't very interesting. The no. worker's armor is yellow, and it seems like a more sealed version of the mover from Aliens. The military armor. Exactly, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yes. Right. The military armor. Even looks, with the weird like vice it's got it, things. Got it all. Yeah. The military armor looks very Warhammer 40,000 inspired, but it's stripped down and solid gray. By the way, the main characters don't wear the armor-clad armor. The guards that fight them do. So they're not even the stars. Even the bugs are very Starship Troopers inspired, but minus the bright colors. Now, I want to stress the art was very good, but the design just didn't do much at all. Armorclads is not a bad story, and this is not a bad comic. I just needed more from the design of the future armor and the villains. I can only give this a skimmit. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, this is a skimmit for me. I thought this was dull. I like right. I like. I think Manuel Garcia is a very, very talented artist. Definitely. I've loved his work on a Definitely. lot of things. Um, this is a miss, and I don't know if it's his fault or if you know it's designs that came from somewhere else. I also don't know it, why this isn't just called Armorines, which is something that Valiant owns already. Yeah, like it, why isn't this the Armorines, the Armorclads? Right. What, like why? And like if it's um, called the Armorclads, but the Armorclads aren't even the main characters. The yeah, Ironclads like, are. Like, I, I didn't get it. I, I I don't understand. I don't understand why this is how they went like this is the direction they went in uh with the concept the designs are very dull it's all very like very standard rote sci-fi like yeah. generic if you will and it's like it's that makes it boring it's boring i'm sorry it's a skimmit was armorines definitely valiant armorines was definitely valiant yeah, it was valiant. Why the hell do they not? I I could it's not tell right you. It's there. baffling. They're even yeah. wearing yellow armor. <laughs> yep, I don't get it. <laughs> it. Like I I when I saw the cover of Iron Cla of Armor Clads number one, and it had the people in the armor on the cover, I was like, why isn't this called Armorines? Yeah. And then the comic was just like this. I was like, no. Yeah, baffling. <laughs> Speaking of things that are exactly as advertised, it's Rogues number one. It's written by Joshua Williamson with art by Leo Max. 
The price is $6.99, and here's your solicit. Ten years ago, the rogues disbanded and went their separate ways, but time hasn't been kind to the former blue-collar supercriminals. Caught in an endless cycle of prison, rehab, dead-end jobs, broken relationships, probation, and endless restitution fees, the rogues are sick of paying for their crimes. Luckily, Captain Cold has a plan. One last job that'll leave them all richer than their wildest dreams and free from their past, if they can survive. This is the rogues of you, as you've never seen them before, reimagined by the incredible talents of master storytellers, Leo Max from Basketful of Heads, and Joshua Williamson from Batman, The Flash, and Infinite Frontier. DC Black Label presents Rogues, a neo-noir heist that will make your blood run cold. There are certain types of stories that I am an easy mark for. Heist stories, whodunits, underdogs overcoming the odds, and aging criminals discovering that life after prison is the worst. Rogues puts itself... You know what? Rogues is kind of all of these things. Yeah, I was going to say, like, this is all of the above. (laughs) Maybe not a whodunit, but yeah. Rogues puts itself in my good graces right off the bat with a title page that read like the opening credits to a film or TV show. Leonard Snart as Captain Cold, James Jesse as the trickster, and featuring Gorilla Grodd as himself. Writer Joshua Williamson begins the story in the past at a seedy bar run by the Condiment King, where villains of a more working-class nature drown their sorrows. When Sam Simeon of Angel and the Ape fame tries to pick a fight to forget his pain, we find the rogues doing what they do best, minding their own business and planning their next score. Uh, Simeon is... Confused for Gorilla Grodd by a drunken, is it Rainbow Raider, maybe? Possibly. <laughs> and uh, he he just uses that as an excuse to, to start a bar brawl. May have been Kite and, Man. I don't know. <laughs> no, it wasn't Kite Man. It was de- it was like Rainbow Raider or one of those guys. Okay, I think Kite Man was there, though, because like, there was a guy with a kite face like, kind of thing. <laughs> Perhaps. Smash cut to a decade later where we discovered that the score went very, very wrong. Captain Cold is living in a mobile home near the river, possibly in a landfill. I don't know. (laughs) Filling a quota at a factory job while suffering the cruelty of his parole agent. Even when he thinks life is improving, he's reminded just what the people around him think of him. Naturally, when he finally snaps, it's time to get the gang back together. This might be one of the most impressive single issues I've read from Williamson. He absolutely knows the rogues in and out, whether they're washed up or still in their prime. They aren't just a random group of super criminals. They aren't a team. They're almost a family. Not quite, but almost. Yeah, whether they like it or not. Exactly. There's a pride and a distinction that comes with being one of the rogues, at least in their own minds. It's just a shame that Captain Cold seems to be the only one that still believes it. I won't go into detail about the rest of the story, except to say that I absolutely loved the reunion sequence between Cold, his former partners, and some new recruits. Each one of these characters is compelling on their own, and together they play off of each other really, really well. Um, <laughs> seeing how each character went from the familiar status quo that I, I knew for them from the, pre- from the uh, flashback portion to like their new life, in the future. Yeah. Especially with like Bronze Tiger and the trickster was like very entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was really pleased by that. Now, this is a slightly different take on their traditional interpretation. And I don't just mean the future stuff, but they are still instantly recognizable. 
to longtime Flash readers. When Captain Cold is making his pitch to the group, he has a slideshow, which they tease him for. And there's a reveal that shows this story's version of Gorilla Grodd for the first time. And it made me very, very happy. I I am very excited to see Gorilla Grodd uh, the way they depict him here. The art is by Leo Max, and we are big fans of him here in this ziggurat. Oh, his yeah. art in this issue is beautifully detailed, and I was very impressed with his character designs. They look like real living and breathing people, not just comic book characters. And I don't just mean that they're photorealistic drawings. They look like they could exist in reality, but they also don't look like anyone specific. Yeah, it's just it's very impressive that Leo Max kind of created these uh, real looking human beings, they have this ugliness or a, a sadness to them that draws you in, even though they're very bad people. The colors by Mateus Lopez are muted and dingy, and that is a compliment. They really suit the story's tone and the setting. This is not the sort of book that should be bright and flashy, and the artists absolutely nailed the vibe. Now, by the end of Rogues number one, I was absolutely rooting for these scumbags. <laughs> they are terrible human beings, probably even the ones that were uh, making a go at a normal life. But I can't help but want them to succeed, especially after that last panel where they kind of like walk towards the camera all triumphant. And I was like, yes, <laughs> uh, Rogues number one was an absolute joy from start to finish. And I can't wait to see where Williamson and Leo Max take my favorite group of shitty villains from here. This gets a huge buy it. Completely agree. This is exactly what DC should be doing with black labels, telling stories like this. This is just you know that every time we, we review a black label comic, we like you say that exact same thing because there's other stuff they do that I don't feel should be happening in a black label comic book. Cause I go, why are we doing this? Is this part of the other thing? I don't get it. This is obviously a future story about these, you know, these criminals, the rogues who are bad people that are taking one more shot at being bad because you know what? That is their destiny and they have fought it for too long and they are realizing when you have a life like this, you will get sucked in whether you like it or not. So we may as well just accept it and maybe go on a suicide mission because what else are we doing? You know, it's dark. It's nasty. This is definitely for fans of the new Peacemaker show. We'll feel right at home here. Oh, God, yeah, good call. Yeah, this is Joshua Williamson writing above himself. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I like a lot of the stuff that he's written at DC. I didn't know he could write like this because I've never seen him do a story sort of of this tone and this kind of dark. And it's fantastic. I'm giving this a massive buy it. I mean, that's weird to say, cause didn't he do nail biter? <laughs> like the dude knows dark. You know what? But he did do a nail biter. You're right. But, like the guy knows, the guy knows dark dark stories but this is not just dark it's it's bleak but right? I, yeah, I also think we've read just like so much of his dc work that has been so superhero oriented for so long that this felt very different to me and maybe it is a return to what he does best i don't know <laughs> i'd have to revisit nailbiter but nailbiter was definitely a very dark and bleak story so Let's jump out of Central City and head over to Image for Ghost Cage. Number one, it's $5.99. It's written by Nick Dragota and Caleb Gellner with art by Nick Dragota. Here's your I'm going to say it's Gellner. Gellner? Yeah, I think Gellner, you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. Written by Nick Dragota and Caleb Gellner with art by Nick Dragota. Here's your solicit. 
the highly anticipated follow-up project from critically lauded East of West artist Nick Dragona, this all-new extra-length limited series. It's only three issues, so I think they're just three long issues is what they're The saying. issues are extra-length. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll tell you that much. I, I, I discovered that today. Team's artistic right, dynamo. Right before recording. <laughs> Team's artistic dynamo, Dragona, with rising star writer Caleb Gellner, who worked on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, new animated adventures. Okay. When his megacorp power plant falls under attack by terrorists, the super scientist who revolutionized and controls all energy on Earth sends his ultimate creation and an adequate employee in to destroy his most monstrous secrets. Now, one thing I love about Nick Dragota's art is his sense of scale. If, if you've yeah. read his East of West with writer Jonathan Hickman, then you've seen what he can do. But he has somehow upped the ante here. The book opens with some extreme close-ups of one of the main characters and then backs off for a moment to frame the scene. Then another massive shift in scope, revealing a power plant with what looks like a nuclear reactor cooling tower that stands miles high over the surrounding city. It is breathtaking work that reminds me of manga masterpieces like Otomo's Akira. Dragota spends the rest of the issue playing with scale and action in some of the most impressive output I have seen from this artist. The story is also excellent, playing on corporate madness from the upper management, trying to cover up a horrifying mistake to the lowly support agent turned hero, bravely doing her job, not out of heroism, but the chance to get promoted. <laughs> Ghost Cage was a devilishly clever look at corporate malfeasance in the future and science run amok with some of the best art I have seen in recent memory. I can't believe how good Dragota looks here. I am giving this a gigantic buy it. And spoiler, this is my book of the week. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've kind of thought it might be. Um, yeah, no, this was excellent. Uh, this is absolutely a, 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 a manga. This is uh, totally it, it read like a manga. The word balloons are those weird, like scratchy. Yeah. Like if this were an American comic, I would have called them like shout boxes. But that's yeah. just the normal dialogue. Um yeah, it's absolutely a, a, a manga, black and white, huge, huge sense of scale, all the things you said. Um, and it's breathtaking. It is a breathtaking visual feast. The story uh, is complex and like ultra bizarre, yes. like nuts. <laughs> and like it like it even like it took me a little bit to kind of like latch on to it. But once I did, I was all in. Yeah, like the idea that uh Doyle, the employee, the adequate employee, um, who is tasked with keeping up, uh, keeping up with the weapon is just like willing to throw on a vest and, and a gun holster and like, yes, sir. Anything for the company, sir. <laughs> it's like, it's all, it's all very like dystopian corporate future. It's like, oh yeah, this is definitely like, well, and there's even like a little holographic ghost that spits out all this like oh, yeah, corporate like, garbage. Yeah. Right. Propaganda. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's but, uh, oh man. Anyone who's worked in a corporate office setting is going to hear this ghost talking and be like, ah, oh, shit. My manager said something to me like that. Once. <laughs> Uh, I thought this was really great. Uh, it's, it's very long, um, which is certainly not a criticism. It's just like, it's, it's a, it's a big beefy boy. And, um, 
It was also a and quick read, though. Don't, I mean, like, there was a lot of well, action. Well, yeah, it, it can be a quick read, but it's probably something that you want to pour over because sure. of the the art and all of the things that Dragota pours into the art. Yeah. Um, so while, like, the dialogue might seem sparse, it's worth careful examination. Yeah, there's plenty uh, going is, on, even with just art splash pages. Yep. Absolutely. This is a huge buy-in for me as well. If you want to know more about these comics, check out our show notes where you can find links for all the books we discussed. And if you want to read along with THN, you can always find our episode review list on our Twitters and our Faces book on Tuesdays. Joe, before we turn off the venom pumps that fuel our rage-filled reviews, we need to pick one of these comics to enter the THN permanent collection. Spoiler, I already gave mine away. Yeah, you sure did. Uh, for me, it's Rogues, number one. I did really love Ghost Cage, absolutely. But like a- any other week, Ghost Cage probably would have gotten it. But Rogues, number one, was like it was a great. bullet aimed at my heart. Yeah, it was great. Because it's, it's, the, it's the Flash, it's the Rogues, it's yeah. all of those genre mashups that I love. Like, I adored it. It was tough for me not to pick it, but man. Dragota's art. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a good week. It's uh, this damn. is a good week for good comics for yeah. sure. That kid firing all cylinders. It's time to head to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where our personal trainer Kanshu is waiting to beat the hell out of us in preparation for our moon night viewing next week. That's how you do it. <laughs> it's the That's only right. way. <laughs> Speaking of next week, I'll go first while you tell the nerds about your must-read pick for next week's new comic book day, Wednesday, March 30th. My pick for next week is Hulk Grand Design number one from Marvel. It's written by Jim Rugg and Michael Sullivan with art by Jim Rugg. Jim had kind of a rough week last week, but we yeah, discussed he that. Made some, he made some choices. See our cover to cover from last week if you want to hear more about that. Here's yeah. your solicit. The acclaimed Grand Design franchise continues. Writer-artist Jim Rugg follows in the tradition of Ed Piscor and Tom Scioli by unfurling the full saga of the Incredible Hulk from the very beginning to the present. Witness the biggest moments in Hulk's history through the eyes of a single visionary storyteller. So they're talking about Grand Design X-Men and Grand Design uh, Spider-Man. Uh, Fanta- oh, Fantastic, Fantastic Four. Four. Sorry. Grand Design Fantastic Four, which came before this. They are these herky, jerky, neck-breakingly fast looks at the entire history of the character. Kind of like a Cliff's Notes yeah, history for the character. That's an excellent way to think about it. They also sort of bring in other stuff that wasn't necessarily just in the comics and try to force it all in there, too. It's like that artist's vision of the history. Well, yeah, may, yeah a little bit, but it's also like... Um it's not necessarily just like a chronological, like here's oh, not at all a yeah. retelling of the Silver Age stories. It's like chronologically, like here's oh, and this story where the Hulk met this character from an issue of Marvel Premiere or the Incredible Hulk magazine, right. you know that, and it takes place like it's it's kind of an it's kind of an all inclusive uh, Cliff's Notes rapid fire recap of the history of the character right and each each artist puts their own spin on sort of what they think the major huge parts were and how they all fit together so like is this canon no is it a shitload of fun absolutely and if you love the hulk this is going to be great 
I mean, and it's also not not canon. Like it's not it's not something I mean, sure. I mean, it's kind of like Wikipedia, right? Like you're not going to want to use it as a source for a term paper. No, but this is just fun. It's a great place to go if you just need a quick like refresher on some certain facts. Sure. And again, I look, I'm really sorry that I compared these things to Wikipedia because they are so much fun to read. My pick goes to Astro City. That was then. It's a one shot from Image Comics. It's written by Kurt Busiek with art by Brent Anderson, Alex Sinclair and Alex Ross. Here's your solicit. Astro City returns with an all new special. Who were the Jayhawks? How did they inspire five teen sidekicks looking for answers to hit the road in a rickety crime mobile in 1969? And how will this affect Astro City in the present? This one-shot special features new and existing heroes and launches a mystery that will drive the forthcoming Astro City series. And don't miss the Astro City Metro book collecting the first three years of the acclaimed series Map Bomb. You might have something a little bit more to say about that. Yeah, apparently uh, Kurt Busiek's check cashed because the THN Trade of the Week goes to Astro City Metro Book Trade Paperback Volume 1 from Image Comics. It's written by Kurt Busiek with art by Brent Anderson, Alex Sinclair, and Alex Ross, everybody that Joe just talked about, too. Here's your solicit. A hero dreams of flight. An alien spy prepares for invasion. A young man is mentioned by a hero with dark secrets. A street criminal discovers a hero's identity. And much, much more. Step into the world of heroes and see them from a whole different perspective. These are the multiple award-winning stories that began the epic series and changed how we think about superheroes. This collects Kerbusiak's Astro City's Volume 1, number 1 through 6, and Volume 2, number 1 through 12, and number 1 one half the first three volumes of the original trades you've heard us squeal about this series there is a reason why because it is wonderful the reason why i picked this trade as well like my pick of the week is as astro city because i love astro city but it's been away for a while it's been gone for a while um busiek made the decision to put a halt to the um a serial nature of Astro City uh, a few years ago. And so it kind of came to a halt and it was supposed to become a series of graphic novels that I don't think ever materialized. No. Um, but now Busiek is back with a, a deal at Image and they are launching this new series and bringing all of the old material back into print. And so this is sort of like an epic collection, to put it in Marvel terms, of the original Astro City material, and you can't find comics. There, there, there are no better comics than these. They're so good. Well, specifically, uh, that's a really uh, yeah. Specifically, these are comics that homage everything you love about the big two right. superheroes. Yes, um, everything that you love about Batman, Superman, Captain America, Wolverine. Yes. You know, like it's all here, but it's set in a slightly more familiar more realistic setting where it feels like it's very much this world outside your window and all the heroes are there, but we're seeing a slightly different story, a more human side of that character that maybe we are not going to get in a Captain America right. comic. And, and so, and also the joy of Astro city aside from like, it's just as much about the normal people that live in the town as yeah. it is about the superpowered people that live in the town. Definitely. And uh, yeah, it's just, these are some of the greatest comics ever. The best Superman comic 
ever written is Astro City number one, <laughs> and it is in this comic. I don't know if I'm uh, gonna go that far, but it is very good. It's uh, you know <laughs> it, that's a pretty cheeky way to put it, but yeah, it's um, it's uh, it's in this trade, and uh, it gets it gets our highest recommendation. Welcome back, Astro City. Once again, you can find links to these picks of the week in our show notes, and you can find our picks of the week every Wednesday on our Twitter and our Facebook. You're probably reading something kick-ass, too. So let us know how you're training for Moon Knight next week and what you are pumped to read. You can do it right there. Just respond to our posts. And hey, maybe while you're uh, there, click a follow or a like. Help a guy out. You know, I mean, come on. It's not too much to ask, right? Come on. I was really hoping this punishment would be done by by Friday, but Moon Knight doesn't come out until Wednesday. Oh, she keep getting her asses kicked until we're ready. <laughs> Who the hell is that guy? Before we get out of here, we wanted to give you a sneak peek of what you're missing out on if you don't support THN at Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. Now that sounds like we uh, resent you for not donating. That is certainly not the case. But well, Joe doesn't, but if, I do. <laughs> if you are a donor, if you are a, one of our patrons, you get access to all sorts of extra content. Just in time for the Disney Plus premiere next week, our comic historian and accomplished author Jason Sachs is here for another edition of Who the Hell is This Guy? And you better believe he's chronicling the history of Marvel's Batman ripoff. Uh, uh, homage. <laughs> Moon Knight. Hi. I'm Jason Sachs, and welcome to Who the Hell is This Guy? This time, in honor of his much-anticipated Netflix show, I'll be talking about your and my favorite silvery superhero, Moon Knight. Moon Knight is one of those characters in comics history who's always kind of been a second rater. A guy who has a small cult of fans who love him, and a large group of fans who are kind of indifferent to him. But at his base is a pretty intriguing character with a pretty intriguing backstory. So sit back and pop open a Pilsner Moonlight from Silver Moon Brewery in Bend, Oregon. Ah. And listen to the long and winding tale of Mark Spector and Jake Lockley and Stephen Grant. But I digress. Moon Knight was introduced in the pages of Werewolf by Night, number 32, August 1975. Co-created by writer Doug Mensch and artist Don Berlin, Mooney was a bad guy in an attention-getting silver costume, silver bullets kill werewolves, remember, working for a mysterious conspiracy organization called The Committee to capture the titular wolf and bring him to them for nefarious purposes. But Mooney repents of his life of servitude and lets the werewolf go. In that story, we learn Mooney's origin as a kind of freelance servant of the Egyptian god Khonshu, as well as his buddy, Frenchy the mercenary turned helicopter pilot. Now firmly entrenched as a hero after the two-parter, Mooney quickly appeared in another two-part 1976 tryout in the sampler comic Marvel Spotlight. Again by Mention Perlin, we get to know more about our hero, including meeting his girlfriend Marlene, and the most interesting part of early Moon Knight stories. See, Mooney didn't just have one identity, namely Stephen Grant, former mercenary turned hero at the demand of Kanshu, though he actually had two more identities. Jake Lockley, the taxi driver, was able to drive around New York City unnoticed and learn about criminal activity. While the dashing Mark Spector was a Bruce Wayne type who playboyed around New York and the world, rubbing shoulders with the less reputable members of the upper crust. In 1980, Moon Knight matriculated his way to his own series. 
By now joined by budding superstar Bill Sienkiewicz, this series soon became a fan favorite for the moody art from the budding comics master and stories by men that strayed far from superhero cliches. It's a great series, available in two epic editions and features fantastic art by folks like Sienkiewicz, Kevin Nolan, and Bo Hampton. I own a page of Kevin Nolan art from this Moon Knight run, by the way, and I love it. Alas, that series ended by 1984. In 85, Moon Knight was revived for a six-issue series subtitled Fist of Konshu by long-forgotten writer Ellen Zelenetz and artist Chris Warner, which as a retired Moon Knight put the costume back on as, as a kind of religious pilgrimage to Egypt. It also establishes that Mark's whole idea of having multiple personalities has given him, well, multiple personality disorder. It's a pretty good series and a quick read. Again, if you want to hear the entirety of Jason's segment, and it's awesome, with more music and special effects and all kinds of stuff like that, head over to patreon.com backslash twoheadednerd, and your support for as little as $1 a month gets you full access to extras like this. Excelsior! That is it for THN 659. Next week, the Cosmic Long Box returns to force us into reviewing classic back-issue comics based on a theme. Joe, what does our sentient alien long box have in store for us this time? It's almost time for April Fool's Day, and so our Cosmic Long Box theme will be Comic Book Fools. We'll be talking about legitimately funny characters and ironic characters that have a funny motif but really just kill people or characters that think they're funny and are actually just idiots. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a rich melange of, of characters. Can I throw the fool killer in there? Like, right? The fool killer? He- well, he kills fools. He's not a fool. That's the whole thing. Yeah, it's like Mr. T pities fools. He's so... He right. So you wouldn't... Like, if the theme was characters who are to be pitied, you yes. wouldn't pick Mr. T. Gotcha. All right. If you want to wrap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerdy news, we're what following. An excellent, what an excellent distillation of that, of that scene. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> Hit us up on our live call-in show, THN, cover to cover, every Saturday at 11 Central Time, hosted on our Facebook page. And do not forget, we have the question of the week. Maybe you're having trouble coming up with something to talk about. We've got a question of the week. You can just shoot us an answer on the Twitter, on the Facebook, in the chat, or leave us an MP3 with your answer. Joe Patrick, what are we asking these jerks? All those things you said are true. This week's question was submitted by Hingle McCringleberry via Twitter. What's the greatest comic book movie that is not based on a Marvel or DC property? Now, we're not going to get into the semantics about like what company owns what. We know Disney owns everything. We know Time Warner owns everything. So if your favorite is History of Violence, we're not going to fault you for uh, it being technically a DC imprint right. that published it. We Don't worry about it. Not not Marvel DC superhero movies. Yeah, it's like so. well, but also like not Jonah Hex because that like no. So what if you love the losers? Mar- what what if the losers is my answer? It's not. But like, what if it is? I would say that. I say no. I say it's no. Not to a that. superhero comic. No, it's that's not the question. Okay. It's a favorite right. comic book movie, not based on a Marvel or DC property. Gotcha. Like we're talking about DC and Marvel and their immediate families. So Vertigo, okay. you know, etc. Please keep your question of the week suggestions coming. We do this every week and uh, we like we like it when you uh, you know have a little say in it. Yeah. If you want to play along with Cover to Cover Live, you can join our Zoom by clicking on the link in our Facebook live video chat. And if you can't be there live, 
shoot an mp3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the THN hotline 402-819-4894 and you could be internet famous uh, for your recorded messages please keep it to two minutes or less so that we can share the air with all of the live callers if you're new to the show and you would rather Conchu spread your legs and just goes to work on your junk than listen to any more I assure you it is wow. only because you haven't heard enough the good news is that's not what I signed up for <laughs> that's what we're that's what just happened to us though you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at twoheadednerd.com THN is a listener supported podcast it would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our newest patron Joe Reynolds of the Reynolds rap portion I don't know if you know that oh, right Very yes well. he's heir to the Reynolds fortune that is Correct. why Joe can afford to give us ten thousand dollars a month Joe it's really <laughs> amazing <laughs> like amazing. Uh, it's like an endowment <laughs> it's incredible yeah yeah it's like a the MacArthur genius grant or something I don't know I don't really understand what I don't really know what things are if you're a rich lunatic and like what you hear every week it's easy to support the show you can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd where you're going to hear all kinds of exclusive content just like the jason Sachs thing we talked about and that guy he's a published author can you believe that shit or you can just make a one-time donation via the paypal because you just love it when two adult babies who sound like they might be gay married fight with each other on the internet you know who knows <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to our newest listener, Logan Drydale, who recently discovered the show and tracked me down online to tell me how much he loved it. Oh, wow. Word to you and welcome aboard, Logan. Logan Drydale totally sounds like a hard-nosed detective in a crime noir story, right? Yeah, my name, Logan yeah. Drydale. Like Logan wasn't I like I like bourbon, dames, right. and solving crimes. He wasn't the smartest cop, but he always got his man. And he had a hell of a right hook, you know? <laughs> and away with the birds. <laughs> Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics, or Logan Drydale might come punch you in the f***ing face. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. She had legs for days, but Logan Drydale wasn't here for the dames. <laughs> <laughs>